Well, the title of today's sermon is Under the Mighty Hand of God. And as as we reach our last Sunday of in, in First Peter, uh, you know, in the, these last verses at the end of chapter five, we we see that God's hand is on us. We we see that uh, God's that God is intimately uh, concerned for us. And uh, in this in this ending, Peter brings up some themes that he's that he's been talking about, uh, you know, humility. Uh, you know, keeping a keeping a good thought life, uh, suffering, God's grace, God's glory, and we see how these things are worked out in us by God's active involvement in in our lives. And yeah, I don't even think we realize the extent of of His involvement. Uh, Eric, I think you said something in your prayer about giving God credit. And sometimes, sometimes I think, you know, every, every time I get into the car, you know, this, this might be it. You know, this might be the last time. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think that God protects us in, in ways we don't even realize. Do you ever feel that way? Uh, one, one time in Montana, you know, on the, on the way to this one morning on the way to work, three people pulled out, not all at the same time, but, you know, at, at intervals, pulled out in front of me going pretty fast, you know, and I just, I just said, Lord, am I dying today? You know, but anyway, to illustrate the point that God actually does prevent a lot of terrible things from happening, uh, we're, that we're not aware of, and we don't give God credit for, uh, there's a retired minister, Bob Russell, he wrote the following, he said, to illustrate the point, or no, he said, um, J. Wallace Hamilton, a famous preacher from the mid-20th century, used to tell about a mother cat with a baby kitten in her mouth trying to unsuccessfully get across a busy New York City intersection. She would meander timidly out into the traffic and then dart back to the curve when nearly hit by a car. A traffic policeman in the center of the intersection, seeing her plight, thrust up his hands to stop the traffic in, in both directions, and the anxious cat scampered across the other side and disappeared down an alley. And Hamilton pointed out that the cat had no idea that the authority of the New York City Police Department had been called upon to enable her to get safely across the street. And then he added, I wonder how many times the mighty hand of God goes up to get us safely to where he wants us to go, and we're not even aware of it. So turn with me this morning in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to see in this passage that the mighty hand of God is, is over us. Uh, we're going to see that we have an active role in, in the Christian life. The Christian life is not passive you know, we have responsibility, but at the same time, God is definitely involved in, in our affairs. This, this is a great passage. I, I, I love closing on this passage because it's a passage that's full of promise. Read with me. You'll see. First Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone who to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanius, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, uh, I, I think this is true. We, we don't realize uh, the extent of, of your involvement in our lives. Lord, it's, it's hard for us to imagine the uh, magnitude of, of your love in sending Jesus to, uh, to die for us. Lord. So open our hearts to your, to your word, Lord, and to you be the glory. Amen. So I've got three, three points. They're in, they're in the, the bulletin if you want to take notes. But uh, in our... In our humility, God exalts us, and that's, uh, that's covered in verses 5 through 7. In our watchfulness, he strengthens us. That's verses 8 through 11. And by his grace, we can stand firm, verses 12 through 14. So first, in our humility, God exalts us. You know, in the, in the verses leading up to this, Paul's been uh, talking about elders. Uh, he, he addressed what, what the heart of an elder needs to look like, you know, pure and, and willing and eager, not domineering, but being an example to the flock. And to the young man, he said, be subject to the elders. And for, uh, for both the elders and for really essentially everybody else, we need humility, every one of us. Paul says, all of you, all of you. This applies to everybody you know, we all need to adopt a heart of selflessness and, and humility towards each other and towards God. And uh, I mentioned this last week. We kind of we left off right here talking about humility and clothing ourselves in humility. Remember that uh, I used the example of, of a coat. I put on a coat because it provides something that I don't have on my own. You know, the ability to, uh, to retain warmth on a cold day. That should... Uh, apply to what, what's going on right now. Uh, I was telling a couple of you, our, our daughter who just moved, moved to North Dakota, what was it, Chris, like m- minus 20 last night? Minus 25. Definitely need a coat for that. But, you know, it's, uh, it's putting on something that you don't have naturally. Peter's talking about clothe yourself in humility because we don't have humility naturally. On our own, what do we want to do? We want to exalt ourselves. We want to uh, be rebellious. We want, we want to exert our, our own power. That's, that's the human condition. But, but Peter says here, you don't have humility, but, but you need it. You need it. 
Peter said, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And uh, by the way, you know, it's not, it's not enough to feel humble. We need to act on it. We need to uh, show humility practically towards one another. Humble heart is good, but it needs to be worked out in tangible ways. It needs to be worked out outwardly. Yeah, I think one of the best pictures, Jesus gave us an example in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 4 through 50. I'm not going to read all those. I'm just going to read up through 17. He, he laid aside, speaking of Jesus, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash, it, wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're, you're right, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you. Or if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so just as as Jesus wrapped that towel around his waist, we need to, you know, wrap ourselves in that, that towel of humility and service. To, to one another, you know, that, that servant's towel of, of humility. The, the Apostle Paul expands this further, this idea in Colossians 3, 12 through 15. He says, put on then, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. We just see this, this picture of putting these things on that we don't naturally have. This is, this is how we need to be. It's a matter of heart. And it's a matter of, of behavior, a matter of actions. Peter, go, or, yeah, Peter goes on uh, you know, to, to bring out the significance of what he just said. You know, that we should clothe ourselves in humility towards another. He said, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, this is a pretty serious statement. God opposes the proud. You know, I think some of us are proud of our, our pride. <laughs> you know, some, some of us uh, feel that, uh, you know, humility, no. We don't need that. We need to be strong. We need to, we need to be assertive. We need to fight. But Peter is saying, no, God opposes that mindset. God opposes that attitude. 
If we don't take on humility towards others, God will resist us. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of being opposed by God, of, of being resisted by God. That's, that's a scary thought in my mind. I'd rather have his grace. Would you not? Uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's a tug of war I, I don't think I could win. I don't want to pit myself against God, you know. But if I choose to puff up myself with pride, I'm setting myself up as God's opponent. His grace has to be much better than his opposition. Anyway, James says the same thing in James 4, 6. If you look that up, you don't have to, but uh, both James and Peter here are citing uh, a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs three thirty four, where it says, towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore. Humble yourselves. And he gives a reason why. This is an imperative. This is, this is a command. This, this is not an option. You know, this is a, uh, a willful act on our part. It's something that we need to choose to do. We need to choose humility. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't for me anyway. Uh, Peter gives us an important piece of information we're going to need, by the way. He, why do we humble ourselves? He says, uh, I mean, excuse me, how do we humble ourselves He says, under the mighty hand of God, under the mighty hand of God. This is God's strength that he gives us. He gives us strength to be humble and he gives us strength in our humility. You know, we need to recognize first that uh, we need God's help with us. He's mighty. He's able to help us with all our flaws. In this case, our, our pride. We just don't tend to, to be this way on our own. We tend to be proud and rebellious. But under God's mighty hand, he gives us the strength to, to be humble. I, uh, I recently read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and I was, I was really struck at the number of times the, the writer uh, of those two books mentions the hand of God over and over again, the hand of God. In, in uh, Ezra 7, 6, uh, it says, The king granted him, talking of Ezra, the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. 7, 9 through 10, it said, the, the good hand of God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. 728 it said I took courage for the hand of my hand of the Lord my God was on me 822 he said the hand of our God is good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him that's 822 the mighty hand of God second uh, being under his mighty hand you know we can we can keep things in perspective. We can look things from the right angle. You know, we, we are weak, but he's strong. We are incapable. He is capable. Uh, 
He's able. We're not. He's God. And we're definitely not. You know, knowing, knowing this can help us to, uh, it can help us to be hum- humble. You know, isn't our pride so unfounded? Uh, Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. What a great promise. You know, God, God doesn't want our humility so that we grovel in the dirt. That's, that's not the point. He exalts us in our humility so that we can be who we are supposed to be in him, realizing that it's by his strength, his goodness, his righteousness that we can live the Christian life. It's not ourselves. We don't have any bragging rights as, as Christians unless we're bragging about our great God. Notice that Peter says that, that God will exalt us at the proper time. You know, many many times when I'm feeling very much humbled, I'm not feeling particularly exalted and, and lifted up. But Peter says at the proper time, God will do this. You know, sometimes God needs to bring me through experiences to take me low before he can lift me high. At the proper time, you know, it, it may it may take a while, this lifting up. Peter concludes this thought, and this, this thought is definitely tied in to what he just said about humility, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. We, we acknowledge God as our source. We can, we can lay down our problems, our fears, our anxieties at, at his feet in humility, knowing that we are under his mighty hand and he cares for us and he's, he's going to take care of us. One time Jesus was in a, a boat with his disciples and a storm hit and the, the waves were, were pounding the boat and the wind was blowing and the disciples were just completely overtaken by fear. You know, a lot of people, a lot of sailors have died over the years in, in bad storms. Mark, Mark 4, 37 through 41 said a furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping. (laughs) And the disciples woke him up and they said, teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care? And it said he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, does that describe some moments in our lives? He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you, do you still have no faith? And they're probably thinking, why are we afraid? <laughs> we're dying. Uh, said they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the, the waves obey him. You, do you ever feel that way, that God doesn't care? You know, Lord, don't you care that my wife is sick? Lord, don't you care that my 
my son has walked away from the faith and is not following you. Don't you care about my health and and the pain I'm experiencing? And we could go on and on. Lord, don't you care? He says, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Lay down those fears. Lay down those anxieties. Lay Lay down that pain at my feet. Yeah, it takes humility to admit that we're helpless and that we need him. We need to give our anxieties over him to him because his mighty hand is over us. So in our humility, God exalts us. He lifts us up. In our watchfulness, he strengthens us. Peter goes on to say, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Peter's already said this earlier earlier on back in uh, chapter 1. You know, we need to remain alert. We need to be sharp in our minds, setting our minds on the things above rather than things below. Our, our minds need to be ready for action. Remember talking about that? Why? Because the battle's in the mind. You know, we need to be battle ready. The Apostle Paul says uh, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but you know, our battle is, is in the spiritual realm. We have an enemy who's actively uh, seeking our downfall. What does Peter say here? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. I suppose some of you probably have some stories about lions, cougars in uh in Arizona, our, our house was right next to a, a, a wilderness area. It was National Forest, Granite Mountain, very rugged terrain, and they called them mountain lions there, mountain lions, cougars. But you know, our experience is that they are stealthy. They, they sneak. They're quiet. They're sneaky. They stalk. One day, Chris, you'll have to ask her about this. She could tell the story better than I can because it happened to her. She was riding our horse in in this area. um, And she was being stalked by a a mountain lion. And our our horse sensed it and uh, she lost the horse. I mean, she found it later, but, uh, you know, the the horse lost her. Uh, Chris didn't like that. The horse didn't like it. Her enemy's out there. He's prowling around, prowling around, ready to devour someone, Peter says. And he says, resist him. Resist him, firm in the faith. The Christian life is not a, a life of passivity. We don't, we don't have to give in to the enemy. We're children of the king. We've got the mighty hand of God over us. James says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and and he will flee from you. We can have a life of, of victory. Let's put ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We we serve a mighty God. In Jesus we have victory. He's the victorious one, and we are in him. We have everything we need to defeat the enemy. You know, Paul 
going back to the Apostle Paul, he, he lays out how we can, we can be equipped and how we can put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians six ten through 12, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then he goes on to uh, talk about each piece of armor that, that we take up. You know, the, the shield of what? Faith, breastplate of righteousness, the, the sword, the helmet of salvation, the, the, the shoes of the gospel, all these things, you know, he, we are very well equipped. If we put on this armor, there again, we have that picture of putting on something that isn't naturally ours. You know, we, and we stand in great company among the believers over, over, the, over the ages, our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world now, those who've died in, in the years past, fighting the, the battle, the spiritual battle, valiantly, proclaiming the name of Jesus where his name has not been spoken perhaps or, or whether, or, or maybe the persecution is very severe. We've got brothers and sisters who are being killed today for the gospel, for their testimony. Peter says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And these people Peter was writing to were experiencing that very same kind of suffering. And if we suffer, when we suffer, uh, we can take courage in God. Verse 10 says, after you have suffered for a while, the God of all grace who's called you to be his, or called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself Four things can restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, here, here we see God's strong hand, his mighty hand, his hand of grace, his, his generous grace that gives us hope so that we can live this, this Christian life. We have the uh, assurance of eternal glory in Christ through his resurrection. You know, we, if, if, if we live and see Jesus return in glory... That'll be great. Or if we die, we'll, we'll still all be recipients of, of his glory for eternity. And while we're alive, Peter says he'll do these four things. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Let's look at each of those. Restore. Uh, God will put us, he'll put everything in order, in, in proper condition. That's what that word means. You know, Paul uses this word in 1 Thessalonians um, Talking about wanting to visit the Thessalonians, he, he says I, he, he's going to supply what is lacking in your faith. uses that same word for restore, restore what's lacking. God wants to do just that for us. He wants to supply what is lacking. What do we lack? Well, maybe we lack love for one another. Maybe we lack... Calmness. If we think about it, I think uh, we we could come up with a pretty long list of of things we lack. But God will provide. He'll restore. He'll he'll make up for that for that lack. Next is confirm. 
you know, this, this is the, uh, the verb form of the, uh, the noun in, in Greek, which means strength. God promises to strengthen us. He'll make us strong. And the, the next one is strength. And this is, this is a different word, but it further fills out this, this idea of strengthening. The word in the original language means to fix firmly in place, to set up, to establish, to support. You know, we, we have this picture of standing strong in, in Christ. And finally, he'll establish us. All these, all these words paint a picture of God's support for us. You know, this, this word means to provide a secure basis for the inner life and its resources to establish, to strengthen. You know, God promises to, to give us this, this inner mooring, uh, the, the internal fortitude to, uh, to endure anything that can be thrown at us. And a lot gets thrown at us, right? Yeah. So Paul concludes this section with an exaltation. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thanks again for, for leading us in that song, To God Be the Glory. What a, what a great song. And I, hadn't heard it, I haven't heard that sung for years. That's a great one. To God be the glory, the uh, power, the dominion forever. Yes, yes, to him, to him. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. It's all about Jesus. Revelation 1, through 5 through 6, I love this verse. It says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, we need to rely on God and his glory. It's all his to him get, be the glory. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll close our study uh, with, with Peter's closing here, in which Peter says that by God's grace we can stand firm. These last couple of verses are kind of a postscript, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of easy to gloss over the end or the beginning of, of letters, you know. Uh, let's not do that. There's some good stuff here. He says, By Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. By the way, Sylvanius is another name for Silas. You, you've heard of Silas in, in the book of Acts. Paul traveled with Silas. So Paul, as he's writing this letter, he had Silas with him. Silas is writing this stuff down for him. Paul loves this guy. He, he was influential. He was faithful. And he's, he's the one probably who delivered this letter to the churches. It was written to Peter's with Sylvanius. I think I said Paul, Peter, right now, as he writes this. In either case, uh, Peter says that he's, he's written this whole letter about the grace of God. That's what this letter is about, God's grace. And uh, that's why he uses this word, this. This refers back to the letter. And he remember, he has talked about God's grace quite a, quite a bit here. One ten, he said, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours, to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. One thirteen, 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 3.7, they are heirs with you, the grace of life. 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 5.5, God gives, or excuse me, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 510, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's grace is great. 13, he says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Uh, Peter's writing from Rome here, which he he calls Babylon. That was kind of code word for, for the city of Rome. She who is at Babylon is the, the church in Rome. Um, you know, Peter's bringing back this, this idea of the, uh, the dispersion of the church. Remember when this letter started out, he, he talked about that, you know, to those who are scattered, you know, the exiles. Uh, we talked about that quite a bit, the dispersion of the church. And he, he uses this language which, which uh, recalls the, uh, the dispersion of the Jews by the uh, Babylonians. So he, he's, he's you know, really reiterating here that uh, the church, we are the, uh, the elect exiles, sojourners, strangers, resident aliens. Our citizenship is in heaven, though. He also points out Mark's with him. Peter regarded Mark as his spiritual son, and uh, you know, early Christian to tradi- Christian tradition uh, says that the the Gospel of Mark was actually the Gospel of Peter. You know that Peter told Mark what to write down for for that Gospel. He says, "Greet one another with a kiss of love." Uh, this was the standard form of greeting in the uh, the ancient Middle East. Okay, I, I, in fact, I think you still see this. I've seen movies of men kissing each other in, uh, say, Greece, uh, the Middle East. We don't do that, especially right now. We hardly ever shake hands. But that's you know, it's kind of the equivalent of a of a hug or a handshake or whatever. It's nothing nothing weird. But he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. I love this. Peter's Peter's closing this letter out the same way he opened it up. Verse 2 of of chapter 1, he said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now he's saying peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the the peace of God through Jesus Christ who, who made it all possible. So that's 1 Peter. I love this book. It's good to be under God's mighty hand. And in fact, we, we need to be. We need to be under God's mighty hand. It's, it's his hand of grace that, that keeps us, that preserves us. Uh, you know, that, that great hymn that says, I need thee every hour. Every hour I, I need thee. Uh, every minute we need him. And we experience his hand of exaltation when we exercise humility. We receive, we receive his hand of care when we give him our, our anxieties, his hand of restoration and confirmation, strengthening, 
establishing when we endure suffering. Okay, I've got an assignment for you. This is this is the first Sunday of the new year. And uh, I've got an assignment for you. This week, I'd like for you to read through this book all in one sitting. It, 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 it's a short book. It doesn't take long to do this. But just sit down and read it from, from the first verse all the way through to the last verse. And what I'd like for us to do is ask God, what's, what's the main thing? What's the main thing that you're saying to me in this book? This letter. What's the one thing, God, that I can take and apply to my life this year that'll make a difference this year? Can, can we do that? Read through the book. Prayerfully, pray as you read through this book and ask God, what's, what's the one thing? Maybe he'll give you more than one thing. But what, what's the one thing, Lord, that you want to show me for this year. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, um, we are we are weak, but you are strong. Uh, Lord, what a, what a great thing it is to, to be under your mighty hand. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to clothe ourselves in humility, to, to put that on, knowing that, that you will lift us up Lord, we we do lay our anxieties down at your feet. We give them to you knowing, Lord, that that you do care for us. And we can can stand firm, Lord, not by our own strength, but by the strength of your might. We, We praise you, Lord. We praise you. Yours is the dominion forever and ever. Amen.